Welcome to episode 259 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. What a year it has been, and there are still another five weeks to go. I'm struggling to put into words how grateful I am for the support I've received since announcing in August I would be putting a second book out into the world this year. Literally hundreds of people engaged with me around the launch of Small List, Big Results, launch a successful offer no matter the size of your email list. They attended the book club discussion, the launch party, and the Big Results training. Over 150 wrote and posted their review on Amazon, which feels really incredible. Hundreds more bought the ebook, making it an international bestseller, reaching number one in eight categories, including six in the United States, two in Canada, and one in Australia. The ebook was not enough to satiate some, and the demand for the paperback intensified with over 100 people signing the quote-unquote petition and spurring me to release the paperback ahead of schedule. So yes, the paperback is available at smalllistbigresults.com. And yet, even with all of this going on, I still felt a little FOMO. You see, with the excitement of the book launch taking all of my attention, I didn't have time to think about what came after the book was released. When my first book, Croissants vs. Bagels, Strategic, Effective, and Inclusive Networking at Conferences was released, I didn't really have a plan for what came next. And I wrote in my second book about how I stumbled through the next few months, figuring out how to make a pilot offer. But this time, I went into the book launch knowing there would be an offer afterward. And I had an inkling what it would be and hoped it would be what my audience needed. I know that I can dream it, think about it, create it. But until I actually ask, I don't know and won't know whether I've got a winning plan or not. And that's where the FOMO comes in. Fear of making offers. I could have been content with all that my book achieved with the support of my book launch team. This time though, that wasn't enough. I needed to go all in and develop an offer that was hopefully an obvious offer for people who'd been engaging with me around the mindset and strategies in small list big results. The day before the big results training, as I was putting the finishing touches in the program, the slides, the offer page, etc., I did not yet know the results of this part of my launch. I did not yet know if anyone would want to sign up for the Wake Up Your Network program. What I did know is that the way I approached this launch felt right. Regardless of the outcome, I knew I had built an audience and they would continue to help me co-create great offers. With that in my heart, I moved forward into an exciting weekend of activities my team and I had planned. Your challenge this week. Don't let FOMO, fear of making offers, keep you from having a positive impact in the world. Do the work to build your audience and co-create the offer with them. At first, nurture these relationships and listen. Don't pitch. Make sure you're not believing there's a problem that your clients will pay for when in reality, the issue isn't very urgent for them. Then, when you're fairly certain you've heard them and developed a solution that will meet their needs, go for it. Don't be attached to the outcome. Whatever happens next is a learning opportunity, and that's what will lead you to greater success over time. 
Now, before we dive into this week's interview, I do want to let you know that there are still a few spots left in my Wake Up Your Network program. This program was designed to help you and up to 11 fellow entrepreneurs take action around the mindset and strategies in my book, Small List, Big Results. You can learn more at robbysamuels.com forward slash wake up. And just so you know, there's a deadline coming up. We want to have everyone signed up by December 1st so we can start the onboarding. So the $750 deposit is due no later than that date. And there is both a painful and a monthly option. And I did add a new bonus. In addition to the 10 monthly mastermind sessions and the two one-on-one coaching calls, there is now an 11th mastermind session scheduled for this December 2021. So you can jump into building relationships with fellow participants before we kick off the program in 2022. Now, onto this week's interview. Today's guest is a multi-passionate Renaissance woman with an incredible knack for shining the spotlight on the people and projects she cares about. She runs a thought leadership consulting agency to help her clients leverage their online presence through engaging social media posts, getting invited to speak on TEDx stages, and being booked on podcasts. She's the author of two books, Social Your Book Launch and Spread Your Idea, and hosts two podcasts, Coffee with Entrepreneurs and From the Wings. She has spoken on two TEDx stages and organized her own TEDx event. As a creative professional, she has written and produced two plays, A Very Queer Holiday and Two Anxious Bisexuals. Please join me in welcoming Marie and Contrera. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Robbie. (laughs) Marie, thanks so much for joining us from your place in Brooklyn, New York. Thrilled to have you here. And as you know, this is a show about leadership and networking. And with that reason, I'd love to actually hear, how do you define leadership? And when did you realize you had the skills to lead? Wow. So that's that's a big question. I think I define leadership as uh, how you show up in the world, right? We're all leaders, whether we know it or not. And um, how you show you can either show up for good and affect good things around you, or you can show up and you know not be intentional and it kind of be at at effect for what happens, right? So that's that's how I define leadership. And so to me, it's it's just how I show up every day. Mm-hmm. When did, this is I love this because you know it sort of says whether you realize it or not, you're leading. So you might as well take some ownership yeah. over it and do, <laughs> do good in the world because you, you could be leading people in a bad way. Yeah. When did you start to really think about yourself as having these leadership qualities? So um, our mutual friend, Dory Clark, um, I've, I've known her for through many phases of my life now. And um, I was leading a 15-person jazz band in uh, in the city and we, we were playing a lot and you know, doing, doing that kind of work, you don't necessarily think of yourself as a leader because, um, you know, you're maybe playing for 20 bucks a night or 50 bucks a night or whatever it is, um, a person. And she was like, oh yeah. So you have a 15 person startup. And I was like, what? (laughs) And, and she was right. And as soon as I shifted my thinking to, okay, this is actually an organization. This is, this is, this is my startup, right? everything changed. Just the the horizon changed, what we were doing changed, what I would accept for for my my organization changed. And that was, I've just always taken that and run with it. I love this. Uh, Dora Clark probably gets mentioned on this show like every other episode. Um, my friends actually made a little drinking game of me talking about her. So 
<laughs> nice. play along folks from home. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, she, I think her observation is so spot on that, you know, you were, you were sort of in the doing stage of life and not realizing that what you were doing was leading. But mm-hmm. I imagine that I, I want to peel this back much earlier. I kind of want to know what you were like in grade school, like on the playground, because for you to be where you were then uh, running a 15 you know, person ensemble or today what you're doing, running a company, I don't think comes out of nowhere. So what was life like back in the beginning? You know, were you the kind of person people noticed and offered opportunities to or, you know, like, I don't know. Yeah. What, what was your life like? Well, you know, I so right away what comes up is that and it's funny, I posted about this on Facebook because um, my middle school yearbook picture came up in, in my memories. And so I shared it. And uh, one, one of the things that was very formative was that I skipped eighth grade. Um, so I went, uh, there was a class in my middle school that went straight from seventh to ninth grade. Um, and then we went into high school at 10th grade. So I was 13 in the 10th grade. And so like, I, I feel like that was like me growing up very, very fast. And um, as a result, I became like a very high achiever um, because I, I was keeping up with a lot of the people that were around me that were a lot older than me. So I always felt really comfortable around people who were, you know, five plus years older than me. Um, and as a result, I, I guess I got noticed, like, I guess, I guess I just got, I, you know, I was afforded a lot of really great opportunities because of that. Um, my social skills maybe took some time to catch up, <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's something that has really shaped who I am. I think. Yeah. What an interesting formative experience to, to be younger, uh, and, and still like expected to, to do the same things to your peers. Was there anyone who you particularly looked up to at that time that, you know, guided you as their teacher or guidance counselor or parent that kind of saw a lot of potential in you and was kind of rooting for you? Yeah. I would say my mom was, was always like very, very aware of my academic abilities and, and was, was always very like, you know, I wouldn't say she was a tiger mom, but she was very like, okay, well, you know, you're, you're good at this. You got, you got to do it right. You got to major in science. You got to, you know, you, you got to go on and, and do something amazing in the world. Right. And, um, so I, I would say that was, that was a lot of support and it was also, you know, a lot of, uh, sometimes a lot of pressure. Right. But, um, but it was, it, it definitely for better or for worse made me, made me into who I am. Yeah. A lot of expectation put on you. Yeah. It sounds like, and Oh, did, totally. you, did you end up going to college? I did. I went to Brooklyn college. Um, and I, so I, I entered college at 16, which was very scary, you know, as, as a 16 year old going straight from, you know, relatively sheltered life. And of course I was commuting, I was living at home, but to all of a sudden be on your own all day around actual adults, right. People who are 18, 19, 20, um, you know, was, was scary. It was, it was really, really scary. And so the first semester was all about adjusting and I was majoring in biology um, because that was the thing I was supposed to do. You know, it was, it was the thing that I had been good at in high school. And so of course that's the thing you do in college and it was supposed to be the practical thing. And I, so I, I really started it. I, it was a really big adjustment period. And I was like, Oh, I don't think I like this. Okay. All right. So it was the first time I got to say no to something. Wow. And so did you just, did you delay going to school or? No, I, um, well, I ended up, I, I ended up basically double majoring in bio and music and mm. 
with the understanding that like, I, I knew I wasn't ever going to do anything with bio. It was, it was so much more than I ever enjoyed. Mm. Um, you know, like learning about the cell processes and what happened, like that's interesting, but there's so much more to it, right? You have to know biochemistry, you have to, you, you know, there, there's calculus, there's all this stuff. And so, um, the way that I got out of co- college alive was through my music classes, um, because I was pulling C's in my bio classes and A's in my music classes. And so I graduated with like a, an A minus average. It's so interesting to hear that you had all thought about biology. Cause when I think about you, I mean, you are definitely a multi-passionate Renaissance woman, but I wouldn't think of biology and science as like your first love. Um, you know, I'm not surprised that you were drawn to music. Um, I know that you're a musician. I know that that's a way you started in this and like, when you were thinking about careers back then though, now that you have these, this dual degree, did you like have a plan now that you were graduating and heading off into the world? Well, I think what was, was expected of me was something practical, right? It was like, okay, well, the logical thing is that you, if you're a musician, you go teach or you become a professor. And so I, I, I did pursue that for a while, you know? Um, but the thing about um, academia and music is that everybody becomes a professor, right? We all just hide in school and we, you know, spend five plus years on our PhDs. And, um, for a variety of reasons that just didn't happen, right. You know, I, I wasn't getting, basically what happens is somebody realizes they want to work with you. And during the admissions process, a professor realizes they want to mentor you. And that just wasn't happening for me. But what I did have was, um, I worked with a teacher after my master's degree who was working. He had a band. Um, he was also, he also happened to be very, very sick and terminal. Um, and he was like, well, I'm taking on students, but I'm looking for somebody to do what I do when I'm not here anymore. And I was like, okay, well, <laughs> sure. I'll give this a try. And it ended up being like, I had, I had a whole music career while all my, all my peers were in, were in graduate school. Wow. I mean, first of all, incredible opportunity at an unopportune time when you're like, I'm not sure yeah. if I'm ready for this. I'm not sure if I'm ready to let you go. And he's yeah. like, I think you're ready. And you're like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and so exactly. you're like handed a profession. <laughs> yeah. You're like, jump Basically. in. It's yours. That's amazing. So clearly you had developed enough of who you are in the world by that point for, for them to see this opportunity and think you are the right person for it. Um, you know, and I know Dory is a part of the story here because um, mm-hmm. Well, she's already came up, <laughs> but I like when you're a musician, do you think of yourself as an entrepreneur? Um, well, my, so my, my teacher, Fred, he, he did, he always said to me and I said, should I ever try to go back to school? He was like, only if you're not entrepreneurial enough, you know? And I was like, oh, all right, well, I guess I'm not going back to school then, you know? And, and so I did because I was the one raising money for the concerts. I was the one making sure everybody got fed when we did things and, you know, um, making sure that everybody had a place to sleep when we, when we eventually went on tour and stuff like that. So yes, I did, but not in so many words, right? Like I thought of it as my livelihood. I thought of it as how I wanted to eventually make all of my money. Right. But, um, a lot of it was bootstrapping, right? Like a lot of during that time was working odd jobs to like scrounge the extra money. Because when you apply for a $20,000 grant to do a tour, it's likely you're going to get five. And so where does the rest of that money come from? Well, it comes from other grants. It comes from donors. It comes from 
at the end of the day, like me being like, okay, we have $2,000 to go. Cool. I'm going to, I'm going to go work this odd job, you know? So. Wow. I mean, it sounds like you took real ownership of the situation. Others were really lucky that you did that because you were sort of managing <laughs> the logistics of their experience and, and making sure everything was happening. The trains were running mm -hmm. on time. And it sounded like you found your passion that you, like, this was something that was very fulfilling to you. I'm sort of cu curious how you came off that track. This was like meaningful, fulfilling, you're doing what you love. People appreciated you. You're good at it. How is it? You're not still, I mean, you've, you've <laughs> presented in some amazing stages. Tell me yeah. you, you've done some like, yeah. like, you know, high career points kind mm -hmm. of experiences. Um, was it Carnegie? Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, it was. And by the way, I bootstrapped that concert, like make no mistake. It was a $40,000 night. And, you know, I, I raised all the money. I, you know, my business was just starting to take off, which I was doing, you know, to, to make money for my career, basically my social media firm. Um, and so Carnegie hall happened and the year before it happened in 27, 2016, 2017, and in 2016, I had made $15,000. I'd come home with $15,000. That was what, what was on my tax return. And so Carnegie Hall was $40,000. And I was like, that was more money than I had ever seen in my entire life ever. And I was going to pay that in one night for something. And that was a very, very scary thing. And um, that was in 2017. It was right around the time that Me Too happened. And so I came off that concert and I was like, my God, it's... <sighs> it felt like there was nothing on the other side of that. And it, it almost felt like I, the ladder that I had been climbing had been standing against the wrong wall. Um, cause the truth is that when you're a gigging musician and you know, you're playing three gigs a night, seven nights a week for maybe 50 bucks a gig and you're playing music, you're not excited about nobody's happy. And me too happened. And a lot of names that I knew were coming up. I was hearing stories from women I was playing with and I was just like, I can't do this anymore. And so I said, I'm going to give myself the rest of the year. I'm going to try new things. I'm going to grow my business. I, um, I stopped, I kind of put the band on hiatus. I tried roller derby. Uh, I tried stand-up comedy. I like tried all these things. And I said, and I kept saying, okay, I don't want to go back yet. All right. Three months turned into six months, six months turned into a year, a year turned into three years. And all of a sudden I wasn't a musician anymore. And that's kind of, that's kind of where I like, I was ready to be just, and my business, thank God, like my business was sustaining me. I was excited about it. I was getting up every morning happy and it was growing. It's, it's grown. It's doubled almost every year that we've been in business and we're a team of 12 now. And it's, it's, it's wonderful, but I was like, okay, I'm not, I'm not an artist anymore. That's it. I'm done. You know? Wow. I mean, that must be such a huge shift because identity wise, you were so tied to being a yeah. musician, being an artist. And I actually want to ask you about the origins of this business that you have, which sounds like it's booming, which is amazing. And I've benefited as one of your clients. Um, so now when you started, was it social media or was it some, was it more broad than that? Like, were you just sort of doing general admin stuff? Yeah, it was, it was more virtual assistant. Um, so Dory, our, our, our friend Dory, who all, all roads lead back to Dory Clark one day texted me, um, in 2016. And she was like, I have an idea. I think you could be a virtual assistant and you'll probably make as much money. She didn't know how little money I was making. 
And I didn't, I didn't know how much help, like how much less money than her I was making, if that makes sense. And so I was like, okay, well, um, I guess there's nothing to lose. Right. Let me, let me try. She's like, I'll help you. I'll, I'll introduce you to some people. I'll set you up with, with some clients. And very soon people were coming to me for the same things. They were coming to me for social media, for um, podcast uh, bookings, and eventually for TEDx. And it just ha- kind of all happened by accident. And, and, you know, over time it became a standard thing. And so I was consulting without realizing that I was consulting. And from there, it just grew. I hope that everyone listening can find their fairy godmother because when Dory, like <laughs> their fairy god Dory, <laughs> can tap, when she tops her network on behalf of someone, it's, it's pretty incredible. But it also sounds like, because uh, I don't want to diminish the work that you did. Yeah. A virtual assistant is a broad title. And I think a lot of people gravitate towards it because they like doing admin stuff or like supporting people. They maybe they've been an executive assistant. They just, they understand the mechanics of it. But the difference is that if you're an executive assistant, you have one client, the person you serve. When you're a VA, you have to both find and nurture and sustain relationships with lots of people. And it's really, it's a business and not all VAs think of it as a business. So for you to start to recognize that there were some like themes in what people were asking you for. So you got to specialize, like initially it sounds like social media was a big theme. Mm -hmm. Then podcast guest placement is a theme. And then you're like, oh, people seem to want to really get on TEDx's. Well, how different is that from podcast placement? I can, I can crack that code. And I think, you know, that you did that, but I'm also curious who your first hires were, because now you see you have a team of 12 where, like, I think initially when people are solopreneurs, they don't know how to think about how to grow outside of their own limits. Like how Mm -hmm. did, how did you think about that? And what, what were the, what were the challenges around making that shift into not just being a solopreneur that, you know, had a fairy god story, <laughs> but, mm-hmm. um, but needed to think about how to grow further than your limits. Yeah, that's a great question. So um, my first hire was my fiance, my now fiance, who was my girlfriend at the time. And it happened because I was working suddenly 12, 14 hours a day trying to get everything done. And I was making more money than I ever had been in my life. And I was like, okay, I don't want to give this up, but also I'm exhausted and I'm making mistakes. And so she had a job. Um, and I was like, I'll, I'll pay you 20 bucks an hour. Please just help me. Right. And so at first it was like five, 10 hours a week. And then all of a sudden it was, Oh, you know, okay. She could quit her job and, and come work for me and, you know, also do, her film stuff on the side and do her creative stuff on the side. And, and so I was less, I, I, you know, I was less stressed out and everything. And then, um, and then we hired a friend of hers next um, to help with kind of just a a couple of stopgap things that I needed help with. And she ended up staying. So she's still there. She handles all all my TEDx pitching. Um, and then from there, it's just kind of grown organically. It's been, it's been people we know or, um, people who, people who know people who need work and it's, it's just kind of grown like that. And I've had to do a lot of learning on the fly. Like I made every mistake as a leader in the book on my relationship (laughs) and she's still here. So, you know, we're, I, I guess, I guess I did. Okay. Um, but I really had to learn as I went and there's been like, a um, a bunch of restructuring because as we grow needs grow and all of a sudden 
one person who intended to work five hours a week is now working 20 and there's all this stuff. So um, that's kind of how it's grown for, for the last probably four years. You have a chief operating officer type person who's focusing on the internal I will soon. <laughs> We're getting there. <laughs> Actually, one one of my one of my recent hires is she has her MBA in project project management, so she's going to be she's going to be transitioning into helping me run run things, um, so that I'm not also trying to make sure everything got done at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah. No, I think this is a really interesting thing to explore because, again, you know, we we have our passions and our our experience yeah. and the things we know how to do. That doesn't always mean that that we know how to run a, a, a team um, and right. growing pains and doing that. And if your love isn't in managing a team, then you're also getting away from the things that you really loved about your business. So you have to find that balance and make sure you have the right people around you. I also know you have a real commitment to diversity with your hires. How have you, how have you approached that as you've thought about like the, both the needs of your organization and the kind of people you want to surround yourself with? Yeah, you know, and and part of it was who I knew. I mean, I'm I'm a queer person. You know, my my fiance is a trans woman, and and so that's who we know. That's who we're around. That's that's who who need you know needs the work, right? Is is queer people need need the work? People of color need the work. You know, um, they're less likely to be paid fairly, and so that's who's ended up being in in the room with us. Um, which has been really wonderful. It's just been like, I, I love, I love being on Slack. I love being able to like, you know, share a like happy non-binary awareness day or whatever it is in, in, in the Slack chat and make everybody feel seen and, and included. And, um, so my team is majority LGBTQ and, um, all women and trans and non-binary people. Um, right now, I mean, that, that may change, but that's who's come and that's who's stuck around. Um, you know, we, uh, it, you know, definitely also diversity and background is, is a thing. And, um, my feeling is, you know, <laughs> it's, it's happened by accident, but it's been something I care about. And we do also, in addition to working with business businesses and, you know, entrepreneurs and things like that, we also work with, um, we've done political campaigns. We've worked for some social justice causes and things like that. So I, at the outset of hiring people now, I say we loudly support Black Lives Matter and we're a majority LGBTQ company. And so that people self-select and, you know, our, our clients even self-select on that. I think that's really great. Um, I remember during the most recent presidential election, I, I wrote an email yeah. that got a lot of sort of reaction positive, <laughs> mostly um, saying like, if you're, you know, if you're voting for Trump the second time around, I mean, the first time, maybe you didn't know, but if you're still doing right. that, then I don't know why you're following me. I don't know why you're on my email list and unsubscribe. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, I want to work with people. I have shared values and I'm really clear about like, you can't have it both ways. You can't be like, I love what you do, Robbie. And I love you as a person. And then right. like, vote against me <laughs> right? and my right. family. And, right. um, and there were people who were like, whoa, that's really brave of you. And there were people who were like, well, I don't know if you should cross those lines. I'm like, there are enough people in the world. <laughs> For me to yeah. get, you know find clients that I don't need to like wander into the paths that I don't I don't want to deal with those people, and yeah. is this sort of interesting because I think being upfront about our values attracts certain people to us. And like you said, people self select as clients, people self select as um, as people who work with us. And I got 
the, the best part was that the people I currently had as clients all wrote me beautiful notes back. And I didn't even yeah. know they were all on my email list. Like several yeah. of them were on my email list. And I didn't even know that. <laughs> That's <laughs> um, really sweet. <laughs> and they did. They were like, oh, thank you for saying all. And now I choose to work with mission-driven organizations. I wasn't completely surprised by the reaction, but I also right. was like, you know, I, you know, I, I just think it's important to put our values out there. And if we are building a business, don't we want to choose who we work with and choose who we serve, right? Like Absolutely. Strange to chase the almighty dollar um, and miss miss those opportunities to work with people we love. So uh, what are your challenges now though? I mean, sounds like you need a CEO type person, but um, <laughs> are you, are you like, lim- are you like now at a, at a, I want to say, is the menu of choices of what uh, you offer now kind of complete, or do you feel like you're continuing to search for new services? I feel like the sky is, uh, you know, whenever I say we're done, we're it, something comes along and we're not. So I, <laughs> I don't want to jinx myself and say we're done. Um, but I, I really do feel like the sky is the limit. Um, we also happen to work with a lot of artists and, you know, I, I, so I, I still am an artist. Like I've, I've now come back and, you know, started making art again and, Um, that's, that's another, there's another Dory story in there. Um, so, um, you know, so we, we have been doing a lot of creative stuff that, you know, my off the profit uh, that I make, right. I'm able to like now produce art. I'm able to produce film. I'm able to produce plays and, and things like that. And so that's something that I'm like, okay, we could do a little bit more of that. Or, you know, if, if there's an opportunity for something else, I'm still open. Like, I have a couple of clients that have been with me for, you know, upwards of four, four and a half years. And they'll be like, Hey, I need this thing. Can you do it? Can we, can we pilot this together? And my answer is almost always yes, because there's almost always somebody on my team who has some sort of creative business skill set. And, you know, so if, if people are willing to try, I'm willing to try, I'm willing to experiment. How, how much uh, research calls do you feel like you did as you're trying to understand what people need? Do you feel like that's still ongoing? Did that happen? And were you like, were you clear that that's what you're doing in the beginning? Or was it really just happenstance that you were getting referrals and trying to figure out what the themes were? It was really happenstance. I mean, I, um, I did work one of the VA gigs that I had was for a social media company. And so a lot of that was learning. Um, I didn't know it was learning, but all of a sudden private clients were coming to me and being like, can you do this for me too? Like, I know you do this. Can you do it? And I'm like, I was like, all right, well, um, you know, so eventually I got too busy for the, for the company I was working for. Um, the TEDx thing was that, you know, that was just something somebody said, would you pitch me? And I said, sure, but no guarantees. Cause I don't know how this works. And then within the first couple of months, he got two acceptances and then more people started coming to me and were like, can you do this for me? And I was like, no, no guarantees. And then they got accepted. And so, um, you know, that, that it, it's all just kind of happened organically and it's been really wonderful. It sounds like you're open to new possibilities. You're also willing to yeah. try to pilot things. So you don't like, go, well, okay, we're gonna do a full rebrand. <laughs> you're just like, well, let's yeah, just yeah, test this. Exactly. You know, no guarantees. Right. And I think a lot of people hesitate, you know, I think, well, two things that I, I'm thinking of right now. One is when people are first starting out, they really don't want a niche. I, everyone resists niching. Yeah. But you did. You really were like, I'm, I'm known for social media now. But that didn't mm-hmm, stop people mm-hmm. from then asking about podcasts. That didn't stop people right, later right. to ask you about TEDx. Like once you're firmly established in one place, then there's always like adjacent needs that people have and they see you as a resource. Yeah. So it doesn't, I mean, 
you don't have to just pick one lane and be like, this is all I'm ever going to be known for. I think people get really nervous when coaches say, you know, niche, yeah. niche, niche, niches, riches, yeah, all yeah. that. And it's like, <laughs> oh, I like too many things. And I'm like, I get it. But right. you know, you can't, you can't out of the gate. If you had said, I'm doing these nine things, then no one would know how to refer you. Like, right. You would not right. have had expertise mm-hmm. in those nine things out of the gate. So, right. um, I I'm curious now, um, you know, you just know so many people you, uh, you know, you and I share a large community, uh, of friends, but I'm imagining like all of the artistic and music background that you have, how do you nurture and sustain these connections? Like you have that innermost circle of people that, you know, you're going to stay in touch with, but then how do you think of your sort of second and third layers out the people that you see once a year at a conference or you worked with five years ago, mm-hmm. but you're not right now. Like these are people you like yeah. you enjoy each other, but you know, what, what are some habits, philosophies or practices that you have around sustaining those kinds of connections? Well, I think, you know, um, and this is something that comes out of the art world. Um, a lot of times what'll happen is you work on a project with somebody and then you get to know them really, 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 really well in the span of two weeks, two days, whatever, whatever it is, whether it's at a conference or it's uh, on a gig or something like that. And then you might not see them for five years. Right. But that feeling of, oh my God, no time has passed. We can still go back to that little tiny world that we created and still have our little in jokes and, you know, all the value that we've, we've brought to each other's lives. Um, it's still there and it can still be there for, you know, 15 or 20 years. Right. Like I see people I worked with when I was 22 and I like still feel that like love that I had for them and that, that, you know, just the, the meat of that relationship. And I think that that's a really nice thing to bring to business connections. You know, it's, it's like, if you, if you gave somebody a part of your life, if you see them again, a a year later, two years later, like, just take a second, like, remember that, you know, let it, let it feel what it, what it feels like and, and let them know that you remember them. I think that's the first thing, right? Like, you know, give them a signal that that time meant something to you, even if you've moved on, right? Even if let's say it was a client relationship that ended and and you no longer work with the person, or maybe you're not doing that thing anymore, you know, still still let that person know what what it meant. Um and you know that's that's I think it's good, it's a good networking practice, but you know, it's, it's just a good, like human practice, right? What I like about this is that it's, it sets up the stage so that you are more willing to reach out to people you haven't talked to in a while or answer a call from someone you haven't talked to in a while because you're expecting it to be a a fun reunion. Right. Um, And you're, I think a lot of people, when I say, you know, you've already met 80% of the people you need to know to be successful. They're like, oh, but then I got to go talk to people I haven't talked to in a while. And I'm like, right, but they like you and you like them. And like, you already have a relationship. And there's just this like hesitation to to initiate. Oh, they might think I'm selling them something. I'm like, I mean, you might end up selling them something, but only if they need it. (laughs) Like, I don't know if they need it. You don't know if they need it for you. They might just be a fun catch-up call. But it sounds like for you, you've got sort of a philosophy based on experience that it's going to be good to reach out. So you don't hesitate to do that. Yeah. And, you know, even, even if it is like, Hey, you know, I, I, I need this or I'm, I'm doing this. Can you help me? Right. Like the first thing, if you approach somebody with that, they're going to turn off, they're going to say, Oh, you know, all, all she wants is, 
for me to buy something or for my help. Right. But if you really take that time and remember why that person's in your life, that makes all the difference. Yeah. Do you host gatherings? Has that been part of your, I mean, I, I know you and I were talking before we started recording about your, your little zoom, uh, effort Mm -hmm. recently, but before even the pandemic, were you a person who gathered people, convened people? Um, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have considered myself that because uh, I am introverted. I am, I am shy in, in social situations and, you know, in big rooms, unless I'm like running the thing. Right. So I do like to, I do like to host things. I do like to, you know, like be, be the person that's gathered people. Um, so in, in the beginning of the pandemic, I did uh, weekly theater maker calls and we had, we had legit Broadway producers show up to our, our calls, like as a surprise, you know? And <laughs> so that was, that was really fun. And that was like, that was one of the things that helped me, you know, make the leap back into art was, was that I was meeting all these Broadway producers um, and making these connections and people still remember that even, you know, 18 months later, they're, they're like, remember when we were on those calls? And I was like, you, you still remember that? Like I, uh, truth be told, I got a little burnt out doing it because I I had, pretty bad zoom fatigue because I, you know, we all came online and nobody understood the boundaries of, of connecting like this. Right. So I was, I was burned out and I stopped doing it, but people still ask me, they're like, I loved that, you know, and I'm like, wow. Okay, cool. So I, I, it just, it happened and it was great. And, and the connections I made during it were fantastic. I actually would love to hear more about the origin of this idea because it was, probably with May, June, 2020, I feel like it was, it was really soon. Yeah. And a lot of people really hesitated to try things out online and you not only tried something out online, but it was not with a community that you already had. Like, it wasn't like, right. I already have this network. I'm just going to happen to bring it online. I have meetings I'm already doing. I'm going to turn it online. You were like, no, I want to get to know people in this particular yeah. space. So I'm going to like start to regularly host something. And then it turned out that it really attracted these big name producers that completely yeah. unexpected and all great relationships, but what was, what was your desire behind starting that? And what was the outcome you were hoping for? Well, okay. So in early March of 2020, I I did a couple of things. I was going to um, the commercial theater Institute, which was one of the last things I did during the pandemic. It was a little black box theater with a hundred seats and every single one of them was filled in like March 6th to 8th. So we were all, I don't know how nobody got COVID. I'm sorry to just say like, you know, and we were all talking about COVID like it was this far away thing. And, you know, nobody knew that the world was going to shut down. Um, In one week. Yeah, exactly. So that was a really big mailing list that I suddenly had of connections that, that I had made and, and everything like that. And then um, I was working with Michael Roderick, who, who, you know, um, and we actually met up in the city in a, in a co-working space right off of the main strip of Broadway on March 12th, which was the last performance day. And, and we were, we were sitting there while they made the announcement that Broadway was, was closing for two weeks. And I was like, so I, I, I asked, I was like, do you think the industry is done? Like, what, what is this? And he was like, no, it's not done. He's like, set up some zoom calls and invite your CTI friends to zoom calls and, and, and see what happens. And so I tried it and it, and the first zoom call we had, people were just so happy to be there. And then halfway through the zoom call, somebody showed up and he had clicked, 
He thought he was going to a real estate call because he was also like a real estate investor, but he was a Broadway producer. And he was like, wait a minute, this isn't such and such real estate call. And I was like, no, this is theater, this, the, the theater maker's call. And he was like, oh, I'm the producer of blah, blah, blah. And we were just, we were just all like, really? And so we started inviting producers and they, and they would come and they would tell us their stories. They would talk about what, what shows they like. And, and it was, it was insane. It was just a really insane time. What an incredible learning opportunity and a shout out to Michael Roderick for giving you the nudge (laughs) in that direction. Um, I think you were at, um, I, I don't know if you were, you, I think you may have been at my March 13th event. I think that was, I think you came. I think so. Yeah, I that's think actually so. how we yeah. this yeah. conversation. So yeah. March 13th, 2020, I hosted my first virtual happy hour. And then yeah. within like a few weeks later, maybe a month later, I ended up hosting that really fun event for your uh, virtual summit. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which I then, that gave, it was so, so funny because it was such early days. And I needed some kind of collateral to show that I knew what I was doing. Yeah. And everyone gave me permission <laughs> to share little video clips from that from that time. <laughs> That's um, awesome. It was so cool. <laughs> it was just like, we're all just, we're all content creators just trying to figure it out together. Yeah. All entrepreneurs. I mean, it was, it was a wild West kind of time. Um, those first few months that then, you know, why do you think you, it sounds like you kind of accelerated, um, not just on the zoom stuff, but your business, like it doesn't sound like your business slowed. It sounds like it expanded yeah. during the, the yeah. pandemic. Um, Whereas you and I both know colleagues who hit the brakes really hard and like said, oh, I'm going to wait for it to go back to normal, quote unquote. It'll be two or three weeks. It'll be two, three, more weeks. It'll be another yeah. month. It's like, oh my gosh, 18 months later. <laughs> two people. years later. I know. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, like what mental preparation do you think you had to sort of see the writing on the wall, accept it and still find your path forward? Well, I, you know, this is just how I handle adversity is like, I, I hit the, the gas, you know? And so like, I was like, I'm going to do a virtual summit. So my clients, you know, cause my clients were getting their, their speaking engagements canceled. And so I was like, what can, what can I do? Okay. I'm going to do a virtual summit. Okay. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do, I'm going to always zoom calls. I'm going to start a podcast. I'm going to this, that, and, and, you know, Thank, thank God I'm knocking on wood here. Thank God. I, I have a business that people needed during the pandemic. They, they needed to be on social media. They needed to be still speaking. So they needed podcasts, right? Um, Ted, I said, okay, what's going to happen with Ted? Is this part of my business still going to be a thing? And uh, it turned out Ted was you know, transitioning to virtual and making virtual talks be a thing. And, and so that part of my business also picked up and I, I just, you know, I, I, there were a few moments where I was like, okay, you know, there were some, uh, some moments where clients jump ship and we're like, I, we can't do this anymore and, and totally understandable. Right. And, and, but there have been these moments of really a lot of growth and I've been incredibly lucky. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I share that good fortune, um, yeah. you know, for me, my business did shutter because it was all about in-person events, teaching me about a network of yeah. in-person events. Oh. So a reinvention was necessary, but it, it, you know, the community, the networking really like kind of got me back on my feet. I, I was in six figures in eight months. Like, it, it yeah, so yeah. Fast. <laughs> like, I, yeah. I remember, like, I, I feel like March 13th, you were the Zoom person. And I was like, that's, that's amazing. That's the fastest thing I've ever seen in my life. um yeah i was really stuck march 9th through 11th (laughs) and then i was like okay people we're doing this (laughs) we're doing this i don't know what it is but we're gonna iterate we're gonna pry it we're gonna test 
Yeah. And um, I was really fortunate that I was coaching entrepreneurs at the time because I was in the process of explaining to them like this whole idea of piloting, iterating, iterating, like pivoting. I mean, yeah. I was I was I was coaching entrepreneurs as the pandemic hit. And everyone was like, oh, what are we doing? And I was yeah. like, you're just going to keep going and you're going to test. You're going to talk to people you're in your research calls. So when I started getting lots of inquiries for coffee chats, pick your brains, Grabby, can you help me with this? In like a matter of just a few weeks, right? I was like, oh, I could just spend the rest of the year having great coffee chats. Yeah. <laughs> or I can think about how to monetize this. Right. And so I threw together a pilot four week pr- training program and I launched it in May and then ran it four months in a row. And um, yeah. one of the things I, I always tell people is that the first 20 people who bought for me, there was no mention of it on my website. And the second 20 people who bought for me, it was on my website, but it was just me creating a really crappy homepage, <laughs> like nothing designed or pretty about it. It was just literally like my really bad <laughs> yeah. skills yeah. at using like a WYSIWYG. Um, yeah. So I don't, I mean, I think I was just like lean, right? Like I was like telling my clients, don't, don't invest a lot of time and money right now. You don't know if it's going to work just yeah. try things. And you were similarly just testing things out. I think you already had that spirit in you. Um, all right. So if we were connecting a year from now and you were telling me, it's my favorite, so kind of a wrap up question, <laughs> but if you were telling me about all the amazing things that have, that you've accomplished in this past year, what are we going to be celebrating? What are you looking <laughs> forward to the most in the year ahead? Well, uh, in the next year, I'm looking forward to working less as my chief operations officer comes on um, and 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 starts to streamline a lot of this stuff for me. Um, I'm also doing a lot more creative stuff these days, and you know, shout out to my team for making it all run while while I you know while I can produce a film and uh, you know be writing a musical with Dory and and all that stuff. So I I, I hope that's what we're going to be celebrating in the next couple of years is that, you know, the business is still there. It's, it's thriving. It's amazing. And I love it. And, and also there's all this creative stuff happening. Yeah. I, I can't wait to celebrate that with you. I don't doubt for a (laughs) second that it's going to happen um, (laughs) because you are a multi-passionate Renaissance woman. Um, that's my new way of describing you from now on. Marie. Thank you. Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm taking it. I'm going to like put that in my, in my LinkedIn bio. (laughs) (laughs) Cause it's just, I was like, this is what it is. Um, and I, and I want to, uh, I want to right now just tell everyone listening, like if you need any of the services that you heard Marie describe, definitely reach out. Speaking of which, how can people find you and follow your work? So my, uh, my website, which I will fully disclose did not happen. I, I didn't have a website for the first two years. So you're not alone on that. Um, my website is in It's my last name. I N C O N T R E R A.com. Um, and I have a, download a, a free gift to the first three coaching questions I ask everybody for, um, that I coach on Ted talks. So, um, so you can get that and, uh, yeah, just find me on LinkedIn, find me on Facebook, Instagram, everywhere, everywhere well, on we'll social media, <laughs> all these like social links and the links to your website on, um, on our website at on you know, Marie, thank you for, for stopping by and having this chat with us. Thanks for having me. This was really fun. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Marie. Such a pleasure to speak with her and learn about her leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 259. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's show, as well as all the archived episodes. Reach out and let me know which were your favorite interviews. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with that one friend you know would love to hear it. And don't forget to subscribe for free yourself so you don't miss next week's show. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review on Apple Podcasts. It's easy to find our page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance. And look forward to connecting again next week. We'll be interviewing another talent professional who's achieved success in their field or industry. I'll ask them probing questions to get them to share untold stories about their leadership journey and how they built and sustained their professional network. Until then, have an awesome week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.